This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is my co-host, Brian Rinaldi. Brian, welcome back. Thanks, Ed. It's been too long. I know. We both uh, got busy again and um, didn't get an opportunity to record for a couple weeks. I thought it was just so because we... nothing really happened in the tech industry in the past month. Yeah, that or... That or I've had a, a phone call or two saying, I need you on this project immediately and drop everything else. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been pretty busy, but uh, good news is I've got a, a queue of folks lined up to record again. So we should be coming back with uh, frequent shows every week awesome. as scheduled. Um, a matter of fact, I got news this week that I'll be able to record... Uh, as an official um, uh, podcaster at Build, so usually I'm at Microsoft Build, but you know I try to grab people on the side and do a, a recording here and there. But it looks like I'll have a, a designated spot at the event where we'll have people being ushered in and recording all day long. So that's good news. That'll generate a lot of shows. Um, when build is happening, we'll have a lot of frequent updates from the show there. So sounds great. Awesome news. That's good for uh, me. Cause I won't be there. So, you know, yeah. well, you can keep up to date by following the show at SoundCloud, the eat sleep code podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes or your favorite podcast catching application. So sorry, you can't be there with me in person, Brian, but you can always stay up to date by listening in. <laughs> I will. Um, speaking of build, the tickets went on sale yesterday. Are they all gone so already? They probably are, even at the whopping price of two thousand five hundred dollars. That's it's really too bad that the company makes you pay for that personally. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> depending on what your role is. Uh, some people do pay this out of pocket, by uh, the way. Of course. So, um, uh, if if that's something you're paying for out of pocket, then uh, I hope you get the most and best out of every penny you spend. Uh, there is a lot to do there. Um, last year was really um, a step in the right direction. It was well organized. Um, the sessions were easy to get into. There was a lot going on on the uh, ex exhibition floor. Uh, there was a um, a lot of Hololens interactive experiences and stuff. It was really cool. So if you did spend your own money, make the most of it. Um, otherwise, it probably decimated a bunch of training budgets. <laughs> I'm assuming uh, at twenty five hundred bucks a pop. Um, yeah. But you, you do get to go to uh, Seattle and uh, drink lots and lots of Starbucks, get wired up, and check out whatever cool technology Microsoft's talking about. So, any any predictions, Brian? Any any ideas what they might drop at Build? Hmm. No, I don't have any predictions <laughs> whatsoever. I was just thinking, like maybe the the Hololens needs a new name, is what they need, because it sounds like it's a uh, it's a lens with nothing inside it instead of a holographic lens. 
Sounds so, you know, when you said it, I was like sitting there thinking, I'm like, what for a second in my mind went hollow lens, like, like the empty lens, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, hollow, yeah, yeah. I'm used to reading it, not saying it. I'm going to expect that we see more uh, mixed reality stuff, yeah. Uh, whether it's hollow lens, hopefully, and this is something I would just hope for. Uh, I hope there's a new version of the HoloLens, uh, just because it hasn't had a significant hardware refresh in a while. Yeah, I mean, it was a really forward-thinking device, so it it was ahead of the industry for quite a while. I think there's been a few other products that have kind of caught up a little bit. Um, there's still nothing quite like it. Uh, if you haven't tried one, you might not know what I mean by that. But if you've had one on and, and experienced it, there's nothing really quite like it on the market right now. Yeah, I've tried it uh, out, uh, but this was even a couple of years ago. It would be nice. I thought it was really cool. The field of vision issues were were one of the only kind of difficulties I found. I don't know if you've had the same, like, especially when you're, they had me play a game and that was an issue, at least with that model. I don't know if they've changed that at all. Um, yeah. So basically you've got, what is roughly the size of maybe a, between an index card and a business card sized square in front of you that you can see through. Uh, but if you look at the HoloLens from you know the external point of view, whether you see somebody with it on or you see video of it, it looks like you have this complete like in depth experience, which it's not. Yeah. So. Yeah, that is definitely an issue. Yeah, especially given the size of the thing. I mean, it was huge. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 big in that it looks like a pair of um, driving glasses that uh, retirees use. Yeah. Um, for for lack of a better comparison, like that's kind of the or, effect. Or like the ones they give you when they when they uh, um, dilate your eyes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like a windshield for your face, but it, it, in the same respect, it's not heavy. Like it's not a heavy piece of equipment. It's weighs less than a pound and it has something like a core I five or I seven in it, like Mm. some pretty high end processor in it. And also has a custom piece of, uh, hardware in it that does real time machine learning on spatial data. So it's like some high tech stuff on your face plus battery power for quite a while. I mean, the battery really uh, holds up on that thing. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty advanced, but you know, with any kind of tech thing, if it doesn't get some kind of bump in specs, like tech people and developers look at it like, Oh, that's old. You know, even though it's, it's like five years before it's time. It doesn't matter to us. We're like, yeah, that's the old thing. It needs, we need a refresh of it. Yeah. My, my, I would say, you know, my guess is not being somebody who's ever been to, to this event, actually, I would love to, but never been. Um, it's going to be a whole lot of Azure. Yeah, I think that can be expected. Yeah. I think uh, Windows is um, kind of on the trailing edge of of their uh, revenue sources, and uh, Azure is going to be the next generation of of Microsoft as far as where they earn their paychecks. So, yep, yeah, I wouldn't doubt we see a lot of a lot of Azure in there. 
but uh, I don't think we'll see any Windows phones. <laughs> that one's off the table. Well, there was going to be the, the you know, did they, they finally did cancel that, um, the Surface phone, right? They did, yes. As far as I know. Yeah, I think that's, that may be official. They've, they've tried really hard to integrate with Android phones. Uh, so there's like a launcher that you can install, and it uh, has a, um, like a middle service that kind of keeps your your Windows 10 PC and your phone kind of in sync with apps that you've opened and messages you've sent and received, stuff like that. So I think they call it Microsoft Graph. We'll see. We'll probably hear more about that again this year, whatever the next iteration of it is. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting. But uh, the, for the main takeaway for everybody is we'll, we'll have podcasts uh, coming out of that event uh, as soon as we can get them recorded and turn them around so you guys can keep up with the show if you're not there yourself. And uh, you can save a whole lot of money by just listening <laughs> to the podcast rather than paying 2500 bucks. Well, my suspicion, if they don't have the ticket already, that's, that's going to be their best option. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in other news, we are moving our, our show. Uh, we're still going to be on SoundCloud. You can still find us on iTunes and all of the... Uh, places that you catch podcasts but as far as uh, posting show notes and uh, develop or episodes uh, we're moving that from developer.telerk.com to telerk.com slash blogs or blogs.telerk.com both of those urls will get you there um, reason for that we're just consolidating some of our blog uh, technologies and, and um, outlets into one place so things are easier to find and you don't have to jump around from different uh, Telerik properties to find our our articles and stuff. So that consolidation's in the process right now. We'll probably have something going next week uh, where you can find stuff at Telerik.com slash blogs and catch up with the show there. And uh, I don't I have um, I don't have any public events to talk about i'm i'm going to the microsoft mvp summit um and then i have a local event here in louisville called code palooza um brian you going anywhere doing any uh talks or anything soon the only thing i've got upcoming is in june at fluent conference in uh fluent Conf. yeah san jose which uh, I'm, I'm excited to be back at i literally had spoken at every fluent until last year I had to take last year off, but now I'm back. So I, I you know, going to start a new, hopefully start a new uh, kind of record of continuing to speak there every year because it's one of my favorites. What, what kind of topics do they cover at Fluent? Uh, it's mostly web. It started out as a JavaScript-focused conference, but now it's kind of broadened out to topics like web, and, and uh, they actually co-locate with uh o'reilly's performance uh uh conference so they're both going on i think at the same time or kind of concurrently at some on some level um so there's even performance topics and stuff like that so um it's just a web focused conference nice and uh i imagine you have to fly to get to some of these conferences yeah. so uh i know i do i, well, I, I don't normally to palo, to palo not palo to san jose <laughs> but uh so i'm starting tomorrow 
I'll be there. I don't. <laughs> yeah. You can do the four scump routine. <laughs> just keep, just keep running until you get there. Oh man. So I don't normally have a fear of flying. Like I'm pretty, pretty, uh, stable in the sky. I, I don't get uh, too antsy and I don't mind. I actually enjoy flying for the most part. Um, but yeah, some caught my eye in the news the other day. This so this thing was trending on social media like pretty hard. Like United loses the cover for one of its engines from Honolulu to San Francisco. And it's like yeah. You know, the the technology we have today, you know, you're the guy on the aisle or the window seat above the wing and you look out the wing and the engine's like literally coming apart before your eyes. So what do you do besides pull out your phone and start tweeting it? Yeah. That, and, uh, you shared that with me. Oh my God. That is, uh, that was scary looking. I would, I'm very grateful that I was not on that plane cause I've been freaking out. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, thankfully everybody got, landed safely and uh nobody was injured or anything but the the video from that's like it's pretty compelling man the the whole plane's just like shaking like uh, a paint shaker because it's just unstable with all that that shroud missing from the engine but the the pilots managed to hold that thing together and, and get it to the ground pretty safely so it's uh it's quite the um quite the effort to to make sure that plane stays you know stable when you got that much drag hitting one of the wings and yeah and then you've got people reporting live from inside the the flight and stuff it's scary yeah yeah and no kidding it that looked looked terrifying it it's it makes me glad that i'm not flying anywhere for just a little bit so i can learn i can forget it all that because somebody didn't put their device on airplane mode. Yeah, pretty much. They're, they're <laughs> large. They're laptop, right? Is that what we had to? Yeah. Small device. I blame Samsung, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, on. We, there was we a had, Note, the Note 8 or whatever, Note 7. Note 7 got caught yeah. in the engine. <laughs> there you go. We, we actually had that happen, like, like not literally, but uh, in Louisville here, where I'm from, uh, one of the planes got grounded because one of those Note 8s caught fire inside the cabin before liftoff. <laughs> Jeez. So that's, that's where the sarcasm was coming from. Like, we've, we've been there, done that uh, in our uh, airport. So anyway, let's move on to some real news. Uh, this is actually a couple weeks ago, but um, it's still very relevant considering the uh, amount of time it took to, to come to fruition. But Bootstrap 4 is finally officially released yeah. after, what, two two years or something like that of alpha beta development? I think there were some people starting to claim it was never going to happen. Yeah, it was like the Half-Life 3 yeah. of, of web development. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's it's finally out. And what do you think? Are you impressed? Or? Um, I've been using it as a... Um, as a beta for quite a while and I'm not quite sure what, uh, the change was between the last beta and the official release. I haven't kept up on the uh, release notes that tightly, but I've used it pretty extensively over the last year. And it's, it seems to be, um, uh, pretty stable. Um, 
it's not something that if you're using Bootstrap three and you're like really happy with it, that you absolutely have to jump aboard because mm. it's not that that different as far as I can tell. Um, it's more of a uh, refreshing of Bootstrap to make it more current. Uh, there's things in there like Flexbox, um, alternative um, grid layouts for Flexbox, and you can switch that on or off as you please. Um, it's built on SAS officially this time. So last time it was built on less, and then there was a option to... Um, to use SAS. So there was like a, like a cross compiled version or a ported version of SAS that you could use. Uh, so now that it's officially built using SAS, uh, that's a nice feature to have. Yeah. Uh, because that lets you get in there and turn things on and off ad hoc uh, from your code rather than like go use like some kind of customization tool online and download minified files or whatever that process was before. Cool. Have you got to check anything out with it? No, uh, I have not. Most of most of my um, my the stuff that I'm building, I'm more focused on the the JavaScript portion than the UI portion. So ugliness so ugliness you, ensues. <laughs> you're using what, like Moo tools and why yeah, UI. That's what. Yes. There you go. Well, yeah, I'm still still on Moo tools. Um, <laughs> it's. Uh, yeah. Nothing using some, as compared. Using some Kendo UI, I hope. <laughs> There's not much UI to this stuff I'm building, honest to God. But it's <laughs> like, uh, you know, I'm, sh- I'm showing you how to do logins and call, uh, you know, connect to uh, like a, a SQL database behind your firewall using convey kind of thing. So, you know, none of this is like, there's not a lot of UI to it. It's mostly just... In my Back case, in, single sign on. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, they they changed a little bit of stuff in Bootstrap, like panels and wells or cards now, which kind of updates the more modern approach to building apps. Is with like these card views that are really popular, especially in like Android apps and uh, Google PWAs and stuff like that. Uh, and then, of course, we we support that with our tools. So we have an official theme for our Kendo UI components that utilizes the Bootstrap 4 uh, SAS uh, source. And you can you can either get it as CSS or SAS, really. But um, if you're using SAS, it's very powerful because it maps to um, it maps all the variables to our um, CSS variables or SAS variables. So you can completely theme Kendo UI and Bootstrap with just one variable change. Uh, so that's pretty powerful stuff. Sweet. So uh, yeah, you can definitely find out more about that at telerc.com slash blogs. Uh, we've got some blog posts in the works for that as well. And um, I think I wrote one uh, not that long ago about how to do that with Angular 2. So if you want to see how to use Bootstrap 4 and Angular 2 or and Angular SAS together. <laughs> Angular 5, yes. Right. I think that's what Angular. they're up to now. It's just Angular. Yeah. Just Angular. No need for the two. Yep. So we've got resources there on telerc.com slash blogs, and we'll put that in the show notes on telerc.com slash blogs as well. Uh, so other news. Uh, what kind of... Uh, 
creepy AI stuff do we have going on, Brian? Oh yeah. Well, I think I know I shared this on uh, Slack, but and it's it's uh, not specific to coding per se, but I think everybody's seen the the uh, the robots that open doors from. Uh, yeah. What's the company again? It's uh, Boston Dynamics. Yeah, it's Boston Dynamics. Yeah, that that looks. You know what it reminded me of? I mean, obviously not and not uh, a robot, but you know, if you you remember in Jurassic Park when the uh, the Velociraptors were smart enough to figure out how to open doors, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like it's like, okay, we went from we're in trouble, but all we got to do is get inside to like, okay, game over. Yeah, that that was exactly the scene that came to mind too. Is is Jurassic Park, except since they're from Boston Dynamics, like they had terrible like Boston accents as well, so that made it even more scary. Yeah, so they're like, "We're coming from the harbor. We're gonna get you." Yeah, that and then they, speaking of terrible Boston accents, that's a terrible Boston accent. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty bad impression. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I won't even attempt. Even having lived in Boston for twelve years, I'm not going to even attempt it. Because you know people, and they 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 break your legs, <laughs> or however that works. I don't know. I'm better with <laughs> mafia is usually the leg breaking, like uh, give you some edges, people. But uh, I'm sure. Yeah, if we pick on the Boston folks enough, I'm going to get a, a black eye. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know where this is. Yeah. Um, speak, to put a stop to that now, okay, <laughs> on a more, on, a, on another note, like, so not related to, to robots that open doors and are, are going to destroy us. Um, you know, if you look at more like IOT, I, our, our good friend and former colleague, Burke Holland had a fun article talking about how he, he hates notifications on his phone and on his computer. And so he set up this thing whereby his Twitter notifications, instead of popping on his phone or on, on the computer, would actually change flicker and a light bulb that change colors. And so he, he wrote an article that talks about how he, um, he, he wrote the code and used, obviously, Azure, because that's where he works. Um, to connect to to the Twitter API and to to do some you know some analysis of the of the text and stuff like that to to send notifications to his light bulb, which is um, is probably less useful than the robots that can open doors, but also less scary. So yeah, I think we were joking about this earlier, and I said, "Yeah, that's that sounds really practical." But then, it, then it popped into my head, like, "Yeah, actually, it is." I saw this being used in a pretty effective way. Um, so if you have a Nest, mm-hmm. like you can connect all these things in your house to your Nest, um, and like they have like the smoke detector now and stuff like that. So your Nest system will like flicker light bulbs and stuff if the smoke detector senses a problem Mm -hmm. so like if you have i don't know for example the ones that can change color it'll like turn the lights red and like flash them like trying to warn you that there's something going on so that's actually a pretty practical use of something like that i mean yeah yeah it's it's not analyzing twitter but it's you know utilizing the light bulbs and technology and stuff like that so agreed they, i mean i think you know there's lots of actual practical uses if you kind of follow these ideas a little bit further um 
you know, Burke's Burke was never the his strength was not a practical ideas. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's it's uh, it's definitely a good post. You should check it out. Yeah. Yeah, and and just like continuing that thought too, like this that's actually a really good idea if you have somebody in the house that's like hearing impaired. Mm. Like they can't hear the smoke alarms going off, but you're flat if you're flashing lights red, like that's a visual signal that true. they could pick up on. Yeah, so that's some true. cool stuff. Yeah. Now you need to go build it. So should we we amp up this conversation? Oh yeah. So so okay, I brought these up and was surprised to hear that you didn't know what AMP was. Um, but hey, you know we we live in somewhat different. We're we're in the same industry and it's but living in somewhat different ends of the the of the of the house or whatever <laughs> different sections of the building. Uh, uh, so for those of you who don't know what AMP is, so it stands for Accelerated Mobile Pages, and it's a Google project. Um, and a bit of a controversial one, uh, part of it is, is the, the gist of it is, is it's a spec for building web pages that is supposedly designed to improve the performance of your page. Um, and then the key thing here though, and the controversial part is that Google then uses this to run the, like the Google news that if you ever load on your phone or on Google search and you see those articles that pop at the top of the page, um, and they usually have a little lightning bolt next to them. Those are AMP enabled and, and they are cached, uh, pre-cached by Google. So it preloads them and stuff like that. So that as soon as you click on them, uh, it feels like they load immediately. Uh, but there's been a lot of controversy, partly because Google announced this Google Stories. So there's been a lot of controversy already over the fact that the, that you get, kind of get this prioritized search placement if you use AMP. Um, that's been a, probably the most controversial part, although not exclusively that. Uh, and Google kind of doubled down on this. Now they have this AMP Stories, which are going to essentially be a more interactive version on search as well as it's going to be enabled in your email. So your email can now have AMP cards that show up uh, in Gmail. So those those new features were somewhat more controversial, especially because it seemed to be doubling down on this, uh, you know, kind of making it's not an as opposed to being an open web project this is now very much a google project that works specifically with google uh gmail and google search and prioritizes content based on on taking on the spec so there was a couple of articles that came out uh partly this was based on the fact that there was an amp uh conference of some that Google ran this week. So a couple of them, you know, that if you want to look at why people are a bit upset, there's Tim Cadillac wrote, um, the two faces of AMP, which, which takes Google to task a little bit on the, on this project being for the open web. Um, when it's based, when they prioritize the, the search results based on your adoption of this. Right. Um, yeah, I can see where they catch hell on this because yeah. um, they are very like involved in the whole net neutrality thing. Yeah, and that's like a stance of you know the web should be open and equal and free for everyone, 
and then they turn around to do something totally on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Even though it's not the same exact conversation, it's still in the same, uh, it's, you know, there's still, still the same soul of the conversation, right. I guess you could say. Well, we're pushing so, adoption uh, of a spec basically if you, you know, ba- by throwing these carrots at you that, oh, we'll give you higher placement on Google search results, which of course everybody wants. Um, yeah. You know, but it's like the, the web should be free and open for everyone, especially if it gives us an advantage. Well, and it, and it takes advantage of, in, in essence, their monopoly over search. I mean, you know, all they, you know, Microsoft talks about being everybody else is like a, a far, far distant second. And they're pushing this via their monopoly over search, essentially, essential, like not real monopoly, but effective monopoly over search. So, um, that, that's, that's kind of what Tim, Tim Kedlick was getting at. But another interesting aspect that another guy named Ferdy Kristan, I'm sorry if I mispronounce his name, gets at is that, um, while AMP says that it's about, uh, improving your page performance via this different spec that, Based on his test, the spec doesn't actually improve the performance of the page. The only thing that improves is as soon as you load that page, what Google goes and does is loads the pre-cached articles um, from from their CDNs, right? So, so the only real performance games are gains are because it's preloading this stuff. So even if you never click on the article from what I understand from his article, uh, behind the scenes, Google's actually loading that, um, or that article already. So that that's why you get that instant response when you click it, not because of the spec, but because of the preloading. Yeah. Interesting. And that, I mean, that's not a technical advantage. It's, uh, platform advantage. So exactly. Again, it's not very open. Uh, then everybody would have to implement that same uh, type of behavior. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and to be to be truthful, a lot of people who don't even like it are like, we definitely think a focus on performance and getting people to um, finding ways to improve web performance is is important. We just don't, and we're not even opposed to the spec. We're just opposed to some of these aspects of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a depressing note to end the show on. Do we have- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's not end. Like, come on, Google. Google go- let's, let's do something else. Do we have something else? That's uh, I should do depressing? more Boston accents because I think that would go over very well with listeners. I've got, I've got a good one for you. One that you, you can relate to being that you're also old. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I think my kids would agree. Yes, I'm sure they would. Uh, so a guy named Frank Chimero wrote an article called Everything Easy is Hard Again. And it, it's really, he's got a long history of working in the industry as well. Um, more towards the design side, but but doing a lot of websites. Um, and uh, and he talks about just how how much changes and how he comes back, for instance, he took a kind of a few years off doing other stuff and came back again and felt so much a change in things had got in web development had gotten so complex and the stack and the tool chain were just horribly complex. Um, and kind of taking a look at the fact that we tend to kind of keep solving the same problems over and over and over again, except somehow making that more complex as we go along. 
At least that's his argument. Um, and I, I related to a lot of it personally. I find, you know, that it, it web, I don't know if I could have succeeded being a new web developer today or a JavaScript developer or whatever. If I was just starting out, I think it would have been intimidating and scary. And, and I mean, cause I'm intimidated now. <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think it's gotten a little more frustrating and less fun uh, with some of the new frameworks and tools that are out there, mm -hmm. uh, such as Webpack and, uh, you know, pretty much all of the top JavaScript frameworks right now are just, they feel overly complex, uh, with exception for maybe like Vue or something. Um, where you used to be able to just take a script and drop it in the header of your page and you're good to go and be you know, pretty functional. Um, but now you have to have this big pipeline of tooling and yeah. uh, you know, webpack and understand all the tree shaking going on and all that stuff. I know the barrier to entry has certainly been raised. Yeah, it definitely has. I mean, and it's, and to his point that, you know, <clears throat> Some of the problems have got some things have gotten more complex with reason, right? Like we have tons of screens, whereas like when I started, there was literally like we did 800 by 600 and hey, that was it. That was all we had to design for. Um, we didn't have multiple screens going from TVs to phones to, you know, whatever watches even. Right. Um, so that's that that is complex. But in but he also talked about things that haven't really changed, but the solutions have gotten more complex, you know, like we keep adding complexity to things, to, to the same problems we were trying to solve even 15 years ago. Um, and while those solutions have gotten more difficult, we haven't necessarily solved the problem any better. Um, and to use a dumb example, you use like just trying to put things side by side on a layout, right? Like we used to use tables with spacer gifts and stuff like that. Um, and now, now we use, you know, and then it went on to using CSS and float. And then it went on to using Flexbox and now CSS grid, but like, we're still, it, it's, we're still trying to solve that problem. And, and while, you know, those are powerful tools, like we haven't necessarily made it, solved it any better if, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the layout issue, um, a lot of that does come with uh, all the devices that we have to support now. Yep. Um, and, you know, responsive web has really gotten to be a necessity. And it, it kind of has been f since, yeah. you know, the first type of mo mobile devices have come out. But the right. more we add devices, the, the more that problem tends to grow. Yep. Um, True. But as far as building a uh, line of business applications and stuff like that, you know, where most people are seated at a desktop or at least, you know, the, the worst case, they might have a tablet they're walking around a shop floor with, um, you know, having these big complex frameworks in place aren't always a necessity. Yeah. And, you know, we've built perfectly well-oiled uh, jQuery applications with, you know, those technologies, uh, they can do some pretty amazing stuff. Um, and, and those things can tend to get kind of messy if they're not maintained well, but any application framework can have problems if it's not maintained well. Yep. But some of these newer frameworks just seem like they take so much effort to get 
you know, installed and configured and up and running. Well, with, the learning uh, curve. And the, yeah, the learning curve is just steep, pretty. Yeah. And in, at the end of the day, we're building a lot of the same apps we were building, you know, five years ago. Yep. Uh, and I think we're, we're slowing ourselves down. I mean, for all intents and purposes, uh, depending on your application that you're building, you could use something like ASP.NET Web Forms and be fine. Uh, and if you're, you know, building line of business apps for manufacturing process, then that might be all you really need to get going and, and have a product that ships quickly. Yep. Uh, I think people spend a lot of, a lot of time investing in what the latest and greatest framework is just for the sake of it's new and shiny. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And, but then again, as I wrote, you and I are old and, uh, <laughs> and we are, uh, unable to, to, uh, adapt. <laughs> yeah, what's what's amazed me, I guess, is watching the stuff come full circle. Um, you know, the newer frameworks and stuff. That's that's all good. I hope technology always continues to advance. That when you see things like, okay, we have an HTML file that contains JavaScript and inline styling, and and then we're like, yeah, let's break these things apart into different, you know, files and organize them, and then ten years later, we're like, you know, what we should do. We should take all these things and put them in the JavaScript file together. Yep. Because that sounds amazing. Yeah. And we've never done that before <clears throat> 10 years ago. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I've had this conversation numerous times where, you know, when I was just getting started out and, and, and it was still the time of Power Builder apps. And so basically all your logic and everything went in the, on the, on this kind of rich client. And then, and then we moved to the, you know, doing everything via web and, and well, the web was kind of immature from a, you know, we couldn't put that much on the client and the client was not particularly good. And, you know, in terms of like we computers were not that fast, so you're better off putting on a powerful server. So we, you know, our, our front ends were thin and our back end was thick, you know, all the logic was there. And then, and then we started building flash and flex and saying like, okay, we're going to do this, you know, and other companies had their solutions, right? We're going to do this rich internet applications or whatever, you know, I don't remember what Microsoft called it. We're going to take all that logic off of the server and put it in back into the client because, you know, <laughs> um, cause that works because the client's better, whatever. And then, you know, we went back and it just goes back and it goes forth and it's just, you know, we have the same debates, um, but but every time, especially as you get older, you can. I don't know if you've ever been told. I do get. I have literally been told that, like you know, I just don't understand today the problems of today, you know, and how different they are, kind of thing. So yeah, I feel like that's a cop out. Yeah. I, I get. I've getting. I've gotten that type of feedback like a, a lot of times, and it uh, it it really feels like. Uh, kind of like a scapegoat for the whole conversation where yeah. I say, I don't like such and such a thing. And then, and somebody says, well, that's because you don't get it. Yeah. And it's like, no, I get it. I, you know, I can build stuff in it yeah. all day long. It doesn't mean I, you know, I don't like it cause I don't get it. 
I don't like it because I get it. Yep. <laughs> like I, I get it very much. And that's why it's, I see the problems that, that, I, you know, it's got too much of this learning curve or too much of that technology involved. That's why I don't like it. So don't use that as excuse on me, please. But, you know, we see these things getting more and more complex, but the trend of the industry seems to be that our inputs and, and uh, experiences for the web and uh, applications are actually going to get less involved with screens and more involved with things like bots and augmented reality and uh, like micro apps and, you know, little uh, ways to input data into a large system. So it kind of makes me wonder why we're adopting these huge development systems when things are kind of trending the other direction where the apps are going to get smaller and easier and, and to use. we are kind of headed back in that direction, right? I mean, we start putting mm-hmm. all this stuff in the back in the client again in JavaScript. Um, but I'd, I'd argue that the trend towards serverless and all these serverless functions is, is and, and even server-side rendering, but that's, I think, not as big a trend right now, personally, than, you know, but like things like serverless and stuff where we're starting to move a lot of this logic back into reasonable server-side functions, right? Um, yeah, and like where we have giant spas that collect data because we have to key entry like a lot of things and interact with a bunch of forms. Um, you know, we're starting to add other channels in where you're using a bot to enter your data, yeah, or it's being collected from a GPS. Uh, sensor or some IOT device rather than being keyed in, you know, does the necessity for that spa still exist five years from now? Yep. Yep. So I don't know. Interesting conversation to have. Yeah, I agree. We should probably do a whole show on it sometime. We should actually let the witch hunt begin. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, is that a less depressing way to end the the show? Yeah, uh, we have, you know, some tail end announcements here, too. Um, Speaking of all these new fancy frameworks, uh, we covered a lot of them uh, because we do support not only jQuery, but Vue, React, Angular, Angular JS, and uh, many more on a lot of our products. So we had a uh, Telerik webinar for um, the .NET developer line of tooling uh, that includes Telerik reporting and Xamarin and uh, all the .NET, ASP.NET Core and uh, ASP.NET technologies. Mm -hmm. So we have a a brand new webinar that we just uh, had about all of that stuff. And we also had a Kendo UI webinar. So if you're interested in React and Angular and jQuery and JavaScript in general, um, that that webinar is available too. So you can find those at telerk.com slash webinars. Those have already been aired. So you'll, you'll find the uh, links to YouTube on that page. And uh, we, we have all of our videos up on YouTube. You can find them there as well. Um, so youtube.com uh, slash Telerik or youtube.com slash Kendo UI. You'll find all those videos up there. And uh, those are some really good webinars that our team uh, puts together every product release. And then we also have some special ones that we do throughout the year. Uh, we have some scheduled for things like tag helpers and um 
I'm sure we'll have some uh, built around uh, JavaScript and some of those frameworks as well. So make sure you check out our webinars page and, and keep up to date on stuff that we've done and, and have in the works. Yeah, and, sounds uh, good. That does it for me, Brian. Do you have anything to add? Nothing to add. I got... Uh, no. You, you kind of covered it all for me. Thanks. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks for joining me on the show again. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, make sure you share the podcast with your friends and follow us on iTunes and uh, SoundCloud. And uh, we'll be moving our show notes to teller.com slash blogs, where you'll find some posts there shortly. Thanks again, Brian. Thanks, Ed.